Ladies and gentlemen, a very warm welcome to our fifth IES podcast. My name is Katrin Suess, and today we will talk about EU trends in 2021. We will do so with the head of our institute and director, Elina Czakarova, Michael Zinkanel, the AIS deputy director, and Livia Benko, an IAS research fellow. This will be the first part of a two-part podcast on this topic. The whole paper on which this episode is based is also available on our website. Today we are all in a special situation because it is the first time for us to record a podcast from our homes. So to our audience, apologies in advance for possible interruptions by kids, husbands or pets. We have all repurposed our kitchens and living rooms. Let's start with you first, Velina. I believe you have concentrated on the geopolitical aspects. Is this right? Yes, that's right. Okay, perfect. So can you tell me a bit more, what is the geopolitical trends outlook regarding the role of the European Commission? The COVID-19 pandemic has enhanced the complexity of global affairs and the European Union's geopolitical agenda has clearly suffered from this virus outbreak. The greatest risk remains rooted in the emergence of lines of fragmentation along competing geopolitical and geoeconomic interests of external actors in Europe. The diverse agenda of interests and goals set predominantly by the United States, China, Russia, uh, Turkey and other actors will give further rise to divisions among the European member states and institutions on geopolitical issues. Following the Brexit deal, the successful functioning of the Franco-German engine of European integration will be decisive for the debate on strategic autonomy, which is why this trend will depend on the election of the next German Chancellor in 2021. A weakening Franco-German axis will not only slow down common security and defense initiatives, but will also negatively impact the debate on strategic autonomy. Mm -hmm. Following the election of Joe Biden, the European Union and its member states will again look to the United States in an anticipation of improving bilateral relations. However, the United States would also demand stronger commitment from his European allies in advancing joint foreign policy initiatives with Europe. So the European Union will, however, seek to further reduce its dependence on America in certain key areas and fields and aim to achieve what we call partial strategic autonomy. With respect to China, the first step in this direction has already been taken. Following the mm -hmm. redefinition of the strategic partnership with Beijing by adding a systemic rival and economic competitor to the previous designation of cooperation partner, the signing of an investment deal between China and the European Union signaled a stronger European commitment. The European Union will, however, choose an alternative path to avoid being pushed even further between the United States on the, other, on the one side and China on the other, while carefully navigating through their systemic rivalry. 
Furthermore, Brussels will increasingly enhance its geoeconomic clout while putting the focus on the Indo-Pacific region. To conclude, the European Union will seek to facilitate an upgrade of the strategic partnership with India and also build stronger ties with like-minded countries in Asia, such as the ASEAN. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting input, Valina. Thank you. And in your eyes, what are the positive and negative game changers for 2021? On the positive side, game changers will be the improvement of the transatlantic relations, as well as the return to normality in the bilateral relationship between Washington and Beijing, uh, the end intensification of the European defense initiatives, as well as the strengthening of the European pillar within NATO. Conversely, negative game changers will be linked to an increase of the hotspots in the direct European neighborhood, a worsening of the relationship between the United States and China, as well as military tensions along the peripheries of Europe, such as the war between Armenia and Azerbaijan in Nagorno-Karabakh in 2020. Moreover, geopolitical gaps, which are increasingly appearing in the Middle East, North Africa, and Eastern Europe, will be occupied by powers such as Russia and Turkey, and thus will be further intensifying the European Union's conflictual relations with Moscow and Ankara. Reaching this aspired goal of becoming a geopolitical actor would require at least a partial strategic autonomy in European security policy and also multi-fora alliances in global affairs. Even though the goal of strategic autonomy is not achievable in the short term, an actual operational and political autonomy coupled with the strengthening of the European industry sectors and a diversification of global supply chains will likely take place starting with 2021. A European single market for defense equipment will certainly be another positive signal in the right direction, together with overall increase of defense spending. A self-determined security policy is the sine qua non for this accomplishment. However, it will remain an unattainable goal without a clear and strong political commitment to a European-style regional security order beyond the national interests of the member states. The first ever elaboration of a strategic compass and the dialogue on four key areas, crisis management, resilience, capabilities and partnerships constitute a process that is expected to bring about, to bring about a positive change in 2021. To conclude, for Europe, to become a geopolitical player instead of serving as a playing field for the systemic rivalry between the United States and China, it is necessary to assert European interests, values, and norms internally, but also to project them externally by forging multi-fora alliances with like-minded partners. Thank you very much, Valina, for your input on the geopolitical trends 
of the EU in 2021, it was a really interesting topic. Um, now I would like to turn to our next interviewee, Michael. I believe in the report you have focused on the key developments regarding the political integration of the EU. Can you tell me a bit more about it? Definitely. Thank you very much, Katrin, for that introduction and for moderating this session. We have seen in the last 12 months that uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has significantly challenged the European Union and its member states. And probably it was one of the most, if not the most important and decisive challenge ever since the European Union's existence. Um, we have seen that multiple areas and different areas of policies, of um, political life, of social life have been decisively affected uh, and impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. So we have seen impacts and implications on the health system, on the socioeconomic uh, balance within the European Union, on the single market, and of course also on uh, the political field overall. And uh, these challenges have simultaneously worked together and therefore created uh, a bigger uh, megastructure of challenges that uh, has somehow um, limited or influenced also the scope of possibilities of political decision-making in other areas. So what we have seen is um, that decisive political developments that were foreseeable two years ago for 2020 could not emerge and could not uh, happen due to the COVID-19 pandemic and that certain political developments and political decision-making processes have been slowed down by the pandemic itself. Um, another thing that has definitely been more visible uh, is that national and European forces have emerged more clearly. And uh, by saying that, I mean that the pandemic has unveiled certain uh, conflicts of interests between member states, amongst member states, but also um, between member states and the European Union perspective. So um, this decisive and guiding force, more European integration versus more national uh, authorities and more national sovereignty uh, has further emerged also during the last couple of months. And uh, we have seen those defining forces uh, did certainly also shape the political environment over the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting, especially the fact how COVID-19 has actually influenced the political integration of the EU. And what do you think are the expected short-term developments for 2021? I believe what can be expected for 2021 is first and foremost that we will see the uh, better extent of the damages and the effects that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on the political environment within the European Union and also within its member states. Um, so the, the entire scope uh, of damages and effects has not been completely understood 
so far. So within the next couple of months, and especially towards the second half of 2021, we will more clearly see the bigger picture. Um, we also have to take a look at the new uh, European Council's presidency. Uh, first of all, the current presidency by Portugal and its ambitious plans that were signaled, especially in the presidency's motto, which is time to deliver a fair, green and digital recovery. So we have seen by the Portuguese ambitions that um, there is a clear way towards implementing some parts of the recovery package that has been agreed uh, in late 2020. And this transition, this recovery should be uh, leveraged and led by not only a digital, but also a green transition and also um, including a social pillar that is standing as a central aspect for safeguarding a fair transition. Also, that has been highlighted before. And therefore, the European Union also tries through these uh, digital, green, and fair transition aspects to strengthen and enhance the strategic autonomy. If this is really going to be possible in that very ambitious way that the Portuguese presidency is presenting itself, um, has to be determined within the next couple of months. So this is still unclear as of now. However, what can be said is that the extraordinary 1.8 trillion budget and recovery package that the European leaders have adopted in mid-December 2020 can certainly be seen as a success and as a positive aspect for more uh, cooperation and integration within the European Union. The process to actually um, agree that huge recovery and budget package for the next years uh, was a very difficult one and overcoming these difficulties and these uh, different point of views of various member states uh, is certainly a success. Um, however, I believe that we will continue to see the dissatisfaction by certain member states, especially when it comes now to the most recent developments and the entire vaccine and vaccination strategy of the European Union. So it is still to be determined if the uh, supply and also the provision of uh, vaccinations for various member states will be successful, if the supply chains will be uh, successful or not. And uh, especially in the last couple of months, we have seen uh, some critique by member states that the European Union has not been uh, a very good broker and a very uh, good partner here when it comes to um, negotiating the entire vaccination strategy with big pharma companies. Um, and I believe that this will further enhance this uh, national versus European forces that I've mentioned already earlier. So probably in conclusion, we can say that um, the European solidarity might have been weakened due to the pandemic and due to the different forces that were emerging um, during these last couple of months, and especially also these challenging times, not also, only for the European Union, but also for European member states, for companies, for 
the economy, but also for individuals. However, it has made one thing also very clear that member states can only successfully and effectively overcome such challenging times if they're working together and not if they're working alone. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Michael. That was very well put in your last sentence. Thank you. Um, now, coming to our last interviewee, Livia. Hello. Hi. Um, I'm glad to be here today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for being here. You have concentrated on the regional stability in Europe in the report, right? Uh, yes, that's right. Uh, it's a very interesting topic and I am happy uh, to talk about it. Perfect. Thank you. So let's start with the first question. Can you tell me what are the main factors influencing the regional stability in Central Europe in 2021? Well, uh, Europe's regional stability has uh, been put to a test uh, greatly in the last year by undergoing challenging times due to the global COVID um, pandemic. Uh, this trend is most likely going uh, to continue this year as the situation uh, around the pandemic has remained um, unchanged. Uh, given that, that this health crisis has been aggravating uh, the existing problems that uh, the union was already facing, uh, like the polarization of society or uh, disrespect of the EU values and uh, rising distrust uh, towards the governments of the member states. It is, uh, I would say, implausible that the EU will get back to its status quo ante soon. And um, Europe's regional stability is endangered by uh, diverse and at the same time major challenges. For instance, uh, the weakened economy of the member states, the decline of democracy, spread of disinformation, and also the upheaval of EU-wide protests, as well as um, even the possibility of terrorist attacks, as the one in Vienna or France last year, uh, which were clear warning signals uh, that Europe must stand strong and united uh, to counter terrorism. The importance of um, jointly managed security and defense increased even more, uh, in my opinion, uh, due to the mm -hmm. latter. Thank you, Livia, for your input. This was really interesting. And now coming to another aspect you've highlighted in the report, and the COVID-19 recovery plan. What do you think about the state of democracy in the EU and the recent compromise uh, in this deal regarding the multi-financial framework and the next generation program? Uh, well, uh, yes, the EU has been uh, steadily experiencing an increase in authoritarian government tendencies leading to decline in democracy. And this is a factor of uncertainty for the EU because mm -hmm. it represents the undermining of uh, those pillars on which the union is built on, as well as uh, the destabilization of its unity. And in this regard, uh, Poland and Hungary are considered the most affected countries. The right-wing oriented governments of both states uh, repeatedly demonstrates that they 
do not comply with the common EU values, mm -hmm. uh, such as the rule of law and the fundamental principles by uh, breaching freedom of media, education, justice matters, uh, and so on. The COVID-19 pandemic is uh, indirectly enabling some of these governments to abuse the emergency situation to consolidate their power by introducing emergency laws and issuing uh, decrees, some of which I would say have uh, no proven connection to the pandemic, like uh, was seen in Hungary. And um, when it comes to the MFF uh, 2021 and 27, uh, as well as the next generation uh, recovery plan, um, a so-called, I mean, we could say a forced compromise was reached at the end of uh, 2020, uh, as we all remember, after uh, complicated negotiations due to Poland and Hungary blocking the EU budget due to disagreeing with the clause tying the funds to the rule of law. And the mechanism can only be applied in case of fraud or corruption and conflicts of interest involving the use of EU money according uh, to this compromise. Uh, to sanction a country, uh, for example, the procedure must prove that the EU's financial interests have been harmed in a direct way. And this uh, excludes the mechanism being applied for rule of law breaches in general, as foreseen previously, which is a pity, in my opinion, and shows that the EU has uh, still a battle to fight. I completely agree with you that there is still a battle to fight regarding this topic in the EU legislation. And uh, lastly, I would like to ask you, what do you think is the most negative factor leading to the destabilization of the regional stability in Europe currently? Well, yes, um, here I would say fake news, um, mm -hmm. threats. Uh, should be considered as a major destabilizing factor for uh, the future of the region. Um, this proved to be an even more dangerous phenomenon in the wake of uh, the pandemic, uh, because disinformation in times of the pandemic provoked the increase uh, in polarization of the society and growing distrust towards governments. Uh, of the member states, and it hindered the effective implementation of anti-corona measures imposed by the governments. And um, moreover, in a health crisis, uh, false information has sadly proven to cost even human lives. And currently, the ongoing pandemic has reached a critical point in several member states, and therefore additional measures to tackle and decrease the spread of disinformation should be uh, considered uh, as a priority for this year uh, in order to decrease the occurrence of further protests uh, that could be seen through Europe uh, last year as the result of increased unemployment, lockdowns and disrupted supply chains. Uh, and at present, uh, global debt and possible prolonged recession are on the rise. And mm -hmm. it's, it is not clear when the pandemic will finally be pushed back and how much uh, economic damage will be done at the end. However, the latter uh, can have a 
negative impact on the population and worsen its um, confidence in state governments. And as a result, uh, pro-European forces may be weakened and the entire European project may also be signif significantly affected in a negative way. Mm -hmm. This indeed sounds like a real challenge, which could lead to destabilization. So thank you so much, Livia, for your input. Thank you to all three of you, Michael and Velina as well, um, for these interesting insights and all the information you have provided us with today. This now officially marks the end of our fifth AIS podcast. Thank you all for listening today. Our next podcast will be about the second part of this report, concentrating on the EU's recovery plan, the common security and defense policy, and the EU space policy. Stay tuned and goodbye.